It's the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. Coming in three, two, one. Astronomy Cast, episode 566 When Comets Fall Apart. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. I'm Fraser Kane, publisher of Universe Today. With me, as always, is Dr. Pamela Gay, a senior scientist for the Planetary Science Institute and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Spring keeps playing with our minds here. It is glorious and fully flowered and like six degrees Celsius. Oh, really? It's like 40-ish. It's it's supposed to get below freezing tonight. I am bitter. Our apple tree is in full-on bloom and there are no bees. Yeah, we have tons of bees. Okay. Do do you have, um, do you get the uh, mason bees? Yes. Yeah. So we have we have yes. little mason bee houses that we uh, that we keep in the garage every winter time, and then in the in the springtime, unless we forget, and then we have a garage full of bees. But we in the springtime take the mason bee houses out and put them in the in the various places in the orchard, and then the the bees will come out and do their thing, and it's so cool. They're so that- great. Yeah, our our mason bees just keep finding things to put yeah. holes into. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. it's what they do. Yeah, no question. We all we have the exact same situation, which is that we have we have uh we have the bees who follow our rules and they go to bed every year in the in the garage and then we have the ones that that decide that anything that is like a the right shaped hole needs to be filled with bee larva and so you find them popping out of popping out of parts of the house and all kinds of stuff but they're so great they're they're the first bee to come out and there's and it's just a pleasure to see them just going crazy we're always so worried when that that we're not gonna have enough flowers to to feed them in the beginning all right um and there you go there's 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 our happy apocalypse uh update (laughs) As everyone knows, the universe owes us a bright comet. There have been a lot of promising candidates, but in the end, they always fail to live up to our expectations. Comets keep on breaking up with us. It's true. It's true. Um, So did you get to see Hale-Bopp when it Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and this like this is the thing is that I talk to I talk to the children these days, the kids these days, people who are <laughs> you know younger than thirty, right, <laughs> who don't remember what it's like yeah. to have a bright comet in the sky. There is nothing like it, and and we need this to happen again. But as near as I can tell. <sighs> Comets are much more interested in breaking our hearts than fulfilling our dreams. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like Northern Lights. Yeah. Total solar eclipse. Yes. Incredible meteor shower yes. and bright comet. Those I've seen two out of four. I've seen oh yeah. so so those are those are like that's the I don't know, the hat trick. Whatever you make with a four, a four, <laughs> four hats, quad. That's the that's the quadumvirate of of astronomical experiences is to get those four incredibly bright objects to see them all in your lifetime. And 
And normally you will see them on a regular basis, right? If you're organized and you're willing to travel a little bit, you can see them all. But the one that you can't guarantee that you're going to see is that comet. Comets show up on their own. You know, they're the wizards of... They're the... They're the wizards of astronomy, astronomical events. And and there are ways that they break up that are fine. <laughs> so the great breakup that we experienced was, of course, Shoemaker-Levy 9. <laughs> this was a massive comet that never promised us a pretty bright comet in the sky. And instead, it put on an amazing splatter show <laughs> on the planet Jupiter. Yeah. So so let's talk a little bit about this, like, like what causes a comet to break up? So there, there are a couple of factors. I, first of all, comets are made of not the most um, stable substance. They are a mix of ices, water ice, carbon dioxide, uh, all these different gases, nitrogen, that have gone into their solid-ish form. And I say ish because it doesn't take a whole lot of energy to transform these ices back into gases. And when this happens, they greatly expand in size. And so the, I mean, just to be clear about this, right, that the that the interior of the comet is not a complete frozen ball of of ice in a sphere it is just a loose collection of rock and gas and dust and all kinds of stuff and that when it warms up then they start to these gases start to sublimate out of them and and this is where the dust and gravel that's mixed in as well along with some organic materials becomes important because when that gas sublimates all of those other materials get shot off the surface and form this coma of various materials that reflect the sunlight back to us, allowing us to see them. So we are able to see comets as these bright, gorgeous comas and tails because they are unstable balls of ice that is lumpy and bumpy and sometimes even rubber duck shaped. Right. And so the, the, this spraying off of the material, this is their feature. This is what you want. A good comet is one that is going to to blast off all of this material into space, but not too much. <laughs> right. And and this this becomes our problem is they are very loosely held together by a touch of gravity, a touch of chemistry. And when those physical bonds aren't strong enough and that gravity is too weak, the comet can blast itself apart or even get shredded by gravity. Right, right. Okay, so we, so we know sort of why comet, I mean, comets are, are really just a rough amalgamation of stuff. They're just can't wait to fall apart um, anyway. So that's why they fall apart. But what are the specific kinds of events that will cause them to be more likely to fall apart? So, so the two big comet killers are gravity and heat. So with our good old friend Shoemaker Levy 9, when it got too close to Jupiter, tidal forces, the differences in gravity between the near side and the far side 
of the comet were enough to pull that comet into a series of chunks that on its next orbit, well, plunked straight on into Jupiter and did a glorious job keeping all of us deeply involved during the, I believe that was the summer of 94. Yes. And and that was awesome. More of that, please. <laughs> Well, sure. I mean, I mean, we don't get to really appreciate, but we get to see the effect of of all of these chunks smashing into uh, a, a Jupiter, and I guess that's fine. But it 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 is very fine. It, don't forget, it wasn't just that they smashed in and created those black splooches that we saw. Yeah, they also created giant fireballs that extended out from the edge of Jupiter's surface. It was kind of awesome. Well, and we learned a tremendous amount about about the upper layers of Jupiter by gouging out all this material. I mean, it was a scientific boon, the likes of which planetary scientists had never even known they could have hoped for, right? Well, how exactly. else are you going to be able to, to throw yes. a, 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 I don't know, a city-sized chunk of material into Jupiter and see the effect? Only when space is willing to pull this off for you. And we think, and by this I mean there are a few random researchers out there, and this is highly controversial, but sometimes you have to just like the controversial story. There are a few astronomers out there that think that Comet Enki may have actually uh, gotten pulled apart into multiple pieces through close uh, gravitational passes with our own planet Earth. And there are a few hints that maybe there was even some impacts with some of those pieces. So it doesn't take a giant planet to tear apart a comet. That comet just has to get, well, a little too close and have a really rough day. So in these cases, you have an object that's slightly active and um, then gravity just tears it apart and you end up with chunks of comets. And we had a few really promising candidates in the last couple of years. Remember Comet Ison? That was going to be next. Yeah. So Thanksgiving Day 2013? Yeah, it was, I remember it was like after we started doing our shows on Google Plus. Yeah. Um, so this was early in the days of Google. Yeah. Hangouts. So it's got to be. It was early twenty thirteen. It was two thousand twelve or two thousand. Yeah, two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen, and Comet Ison was going to be the one. It was. It was on the right trajectory that was going to take it really close to the sun. We were going to see finally that bright comet. What happened? And. And on Thanksgiving Day, it passed behind the sun relative to us. So we couldn't watch it in the moment. But it was a fairly close pass. It didn't spend very long behind the sun. It went in glorious and it came out a cloud of dust. Did it even? I remember it like it was like astronomers were watching the other side, like the, because it, it, that's exactly right. I mean, for you to get a nice bright comet. It has to go close to the sun to expand out, and it has to come close to the Earth so we can see it. We knew the trajectory was going to bring it close to the Earth, and I remember the uh, astronomers watched it go in behind the sun, and then they were waiting, and they were yeah. waiting, and then they're like, okay, and where to go? I remember noisy astronomer was over at our house for Thanksgiving, Nicole Gallucci, and uh, it, 
we we were constantly updating Twitter, trying to find out what happened. We were ready with you to jump on Hangouts yep. if there were cool images coming out. And instead, there was only sadness. Yeah, I think if I recall, and again, this is, you know, this was eight years ago or whatever, there was nothing. Like, it just, it didn't come out the other side from the sun. And and there was a little bit of controversy about this because there certainly was not a comet that came out the other side. But there were observations where the timing was wrong unless it was something that simply had its orbit radically changed. Right. There was essentially a debris cloud right. came out the other side. Yeah. And there were a few moments of wishful hopefulness of maybe there are some chunks still in that debris cloud that'll be big enough to give us a comet. And no, there were no chunks in the debris cloud. It was the comet that died on yeah. Thanksgiving, U.S. Thanksgiving yeah. Day. Instantly, just yeah. gone, vaporized. And so it, it tore itself apart, and then the pieces were vaporized, and the comet was gone. And, and one of the unfortunate parts about this is as they recreated what had to have happened, it was figured out that it was probably a couple of hours before its absolute closest approach that it got torn apart. And so as it went through its closest approach... All the pieces were already broken up, giving them a lot more surface area to get blasted by the sun, just destroying whatever was left. Right, right. So so we've seen an example then of, you know, we talked about Comet Enki, we talked about Comet Ison. Do you remember McNaught? That was our next great hope. That that was. And and I remember like going outside when when it was first uh, started to brighten up. You could see it as a daytime object, but not as a nighttime object. So a whole bunch of us were going outside and trying to figure out how to see it during the daytime. But it was just, it was about as easy to see as Venus is during the day, which means it's really hard. I never succeeded. I don't know if no. you ever succeeded. Well, so the, so the problem we had, right, was that it was when it was reasonably visible from earth it was only visible it was passing through the southern hemisphere and so a lot of our southern hemisphere friends were getting great pictures of it and they're like yep this is it this is on track this is going to be our comet um and then as it was starting to make that transition from a southern hemisphere comet to a northern hemisphere comet it went yeah. <laughs> For the people who are listening, that's me making a sort of a, a puff explosion sound as the comet just turned from a fairly compact, really cool object into this giant. And it ended up being just this enormous one, just this this absolutely enormous object, but very diffuse, definitely not visible from the from the. So our our Australian and African colleagues yeah. have these amazing long tailed. It had this weird stuttering tail. Yeah, uh, images super close to the landscape because it was so low in the sky. These these are some of my absolute favorite comet images. They're they're often taken in twilight. We got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the Southern Hemisphere, and the, so the Southern Hemisphere were like literally in the moment they're like, okay, well, they're handing the camera off to us, right? They're handing the telescope from the North, the Southern Hemisphere to the Northern Hemisphere. We just get a gigantic, diffuse puffball because the comet tore itself into pieces. And, and this year, too, 
literally just days ago. Just days ago. Yeah, yeah. It was Atlas, Comet Atlas. Comet Atlas. Comet Atlas was predicted to be at its brightness somewhere between second magnitude, which is about where Betelgeuse got at its dimmest, um, to minus six, which is like... You contemplate, can you read by the comet? That's how bright minus six is. <laughs> now, it wasn't going to all be the brightness tight in one place, so it wasn't going to be like a fireball in the sky. It's going to be spread over the whole size of that comet. But that's still amazing. Yeah. And and it was getting brighter and brighter, and it was the end of this month that was supposed to hit its brightness. And then... It went from being a nice, tight little nucleus with a pretty little coma and a well-formed tail to being at least three pieces, three separately observable pieces yep. that are separating in distance that just within days after the episode were spread out by uh, almost 2,000 and 4,000 kilometers. And thanks, uh Sorry, Atlas, uh, fail. Uh, but you know what? We we keep going. Um, now, did you trace what happened with our even interstellar comets seem to have gone through this as well? Yes. So Comet Borisov. And this one's a bit tragic because poor Comet Borisov, here's an object that formed in another solar system that underwent some sort of a gravitational interaction that flung it out of its home, sent it our way, and as it goes on its touristic journey through our solar system, the sun is like, and you're done. You yep. just broke it up. Yeah, and broke just it up. Broke it and, up. And, and I mean, I think the, the thing that's so funny is that this is, I mean, the fact that, that Comet Borisov, while, while Comet... Um, uh, Oumuamua was so weird, although yes. now it looks like we might be able to explain it with the same thing. But yes. Borisov was just like, was behaving precisely like a comet at every step. Exactly. It was, exactly. And then, of course, obviously, ex, you know, breaks apart and forms a just like a comet ought to. Borisov. And, and it's, <laughs> it's just sad. I mean, this, this thing existed. For we don't know how long it traveled, what, tens of light years, hundreds of light years, maybe thousands of light years to get to our solar system. And and then we just destroy it. Yep. This is why we can't have nice things. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and so then um, we've got uh, Oumuamua, you know, and one of the things that, that have been really puzzling astronomers is like, how could you have this? This object that was 10 times longer than it was wide, that it was like a spinning cylinder or a pencil, you know, like super weird. Right. But if you, but astronomers just recently calculated, in fact, if you look at it as a collection of broken up particles spinning yeah. around a common center of uh, axis of rotation, totally explains what you're seeing here. And, and this is one of those cases that it it wasn't made of comet stuff alone. Uh, we're learning over time more and more that asteroids and comets is a transition where you go from things that are mostly rock, but you've still got some ices in there. You never seem to ever completely escape ices. 
And then you have objects that are mostly ice with that handful of dust and gravel mixed in. With a muamua, there was probably an object that was more on the rocky side than the icy side. But as it passed on a comet-like orbit near its host star, or it was a truly huge comet, we can't know which, um, whatever its original status was, as it passed near its home star, it got disrupted. And that disruption caused it to be a whole bunch of different pieces that each had slightly different velocities. And so they stretched out into this long column, cigar, call it what you will, finger of collected stuff. Right. Now any volatiles that were in this probably got baked out. But this now column of stuff was gravitationally kind of drawn back together and essentially cold welded into a new object. Now, we don't know if this is more rubble pile like Bennu or Ryugu or if because this was a disrupted cloud of debris, if if it was molten enough to form a more of a solid object. We don't know that heating mechanism that went into it but whatever it was but you had to destroy something to get to a muamua and again so i I, you know we started this conversation talking about what happened with comet shoemaker levy nine that you started with this this solid comet it went past jupiter it got the gravity of jupiter tore it into this string it came back around for another run and then it crashed into Jupiter. But what if instead of, you know, flew past Jupiter or flew past the sun, was torn into this string of material, but then was kicked out of the entire solar system and then flew through the cosmos for a hundred million years, whatever, some enormous amount of time, and that all of those objects slowly collected back together into, uh, as you say, you know, the cold welded just one on top of the other that seems to explain the behavior and the the what this thing looked like which is again just an absolutely fascinating idea it's so exciting to you know and, more exciting the, to me okay fine an alien spacecraft is more exciting but <laughs> when i think about legitimate it was not a rendezvous with Rama. right but when you think about legitimate <laughs> answers for what Oumuamua was that one is very exciting to me and I just love the dynamical differences that you can run into because if something is on a fairly lazy orbit elliptical in towards the sun, it lingers too long and the pieces get shredded too much, dissipated too much. You end up with ice. But if you have something that's on a super fast orbit that's actually in the process of flinging it out of a solar system, that parabolic hyperbolic orbit, then that crossing time is so fast that it gets torn apart, but the pieces don't get too far apart to not gravitationally still cling on to one another. So it's the fact that these pieces still clung together that tells us this happened during one really zippy approach near whatever it is that tore it apart. So what does this tell us? Do you think in general, I mean, if, if, I mean, if we, what do we mark off? There's like five or six objects, all of which were going to be a return to Hayakutake or Hale Bop. And instead, we just got debris 
blown in our general direction. What um, it tells me is the one good thing Generation X got was a cool comet in our 20s. In your face, millennials. Yeah. <laughs> this is the only yeah, good yeah, thing Gen yeah, X got. Yeah, exactly. Okay, boomers. Um, so, uh, right. And so, but I mean, just like as we watch, as we, you know, as astronomers are watching the skies, looking and hoping for the next really bright comet that we could yeah. see, we should be mentally, emotionally prepared for, for constant it. Yeah. disappointment. Don't it's, think that it's that you're going to get the the comet that you think you deserve. Comets are extraordinarily fragile. That's that's one of the lessons. And those that aren't too fragile don't tend to get awesome tails. They don't tend to get awesome comas. It takes that heat to make them glorious. I, I, so I was going to say a lot I, of yeah, sadness. I always find it so funny, though, right? Because we're already off. We're already onto the new hotness. So um, we've got uh, a new comet that looks like it's going to be the one that's going to to the Swan. Yeah, Swan Comet Swan. So we've got an article on on Universe Today uh, just. Just about that, Dave Dickinson is is working on that. Um, yeah, so like you know, uh, Comet Atlas. Who? No, it's time for Swan, <laughs> right? It is true. Yeah, it is true. Which I think is just oh, well. which I think is just great because we just so quickly forget that last. The you know, universe is Linus. We're Charlie Brown. <laughs> <laughs> comets are footballs. Yeah. So stay tuned. Maybe uh, Swan is going to be the one. Anyway, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Pamela, uh, do you have some names for us this week? I do. As as always, I just want to say thank you to all the patrons out there that are supporting us. And I also want to say I know a lot of you are really struggling right now. I see it reflected in um, we lost a whole lot of patrons since um, COVID started. We see you. We understand. We're here for you. Don't worry about it. Join our communities. Play a game of Ticket to Ride and know you're not alone in the yeah. world. And know that you don't, you know, that, that supporting the work that we do is purely optional. And if, yeah. and if financial hardship is difficult for you in any, t- in any way, shape, or form, don't stretch yourself to contribute to us. You know, and, just... And- Really, if you need some place to just go and find other humans, the Weekly Space Hangout crew has you. Yeah. Join us and we'll get through all of this together. It's what we have always done. You guys have carried us for so many years. And the least we can do is say, come, let's just get through this socially, staying close through the Internet. Yeah. And, and and I mean, we don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. But like, we only had 14 cases in British Columbia yesterday. Wow. So we're down to a handful. And we're now talking about reopening our economy, starting to to stage in the different kinds of, of uh, you know, businesses opening up again, restaurants being able to open, but with new measures put in place. If that works and we don't see the cases rise, like, like we're all at different stages of this crisis. Yeah. And, and you, hopefully as you see people, you know, as some of us, 
are able to reach the other side of it, we will extend lifelines and emotional support to help and give and show you that the work you're doing to stay home and socially distance, there is a light on the other end of this tunnel and it's going to be yeah. okay. We've just got to get through it. And, and the whole world has to do this together. So, so now more than ever, reach out, find community, con- connect, and, and you don't need to support us financially. And we're here to support you um, yeah. emotionally. So, well, but there are some names. There are some names. So I want to thank William Andrews, Jack, Mark Grundy, William Lauer, Jeremy Kerwin, Bruno Letts, Michelle Cullen, Jay Alex Anderson, Dustin A. Rolf, Joe Wilkinson, Marco LaRossi, Mark Stephen Raznak, Brian Kelby, and Jessica Feltz. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Pamela, we'll see you next week. See you next week. You are listening to the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. The 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is produced by the Planetary Science Institute. Audio post production by Richard Drum. Bandwidth donated by Libsyn.com and Wizard Media. You may reproduce and distribute this audio for non-commercial purposes. This show is made possible thanks to the generous donations of people like you. Please consider supporting our show on Patreon.com forward slash 365 Days of Astronomy and get access to bonus content. After 10 years, the three. 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is entering its second decade of sharing important milestones in space exploration and astronomy discoveries. Join us and share your story. Until tomorrow, goodbye. Goodbye.